Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. All right, I'm breaking kind of a rule of presentation today. Uh, I've done this. I do this maybe once or twice a year. You know, every presenter, anybody certainly who speaks in church, to a church, Anybody who leads teams knows that there really should be one primary content focus (laughs) of the talk or of the message. And I'm going to do three messages this morning, three mini messages. Uh, They do, if you think about them, they do connect. They do relate really to feeling connected to God and being connected to him and connected to this idea that we're talking about this summer of the most exciting concept on the planet, the most exciting idea on earth, is the church that Jesus created. Not necessarily the church that we see in church history that has caused divisions and wars, and you could even make that case today in in the Western world. We're talking about the church that Jesus created, a church that looks like him, a church that behaves like him, a church that thinks and has a worldview like him. It is the most compelling energy force entity on the planet. And it's not, church isn't the stuff that happens up here in front of everybody. You, as a follower of Jesus, are part of the church, he tells us. You are part of the movement of God's hope and God's love in this world. And so, three sort of distinct messages today, but they all relate to this topic in some way. And I'm going to start with... A story that relates to the film festival. If you don't know what the film festival is, you'll learn more about that in the coming month. Uh, I did a series some time ago and, uh, about how we are to be Jesus and relate like Jesus outside the walls of the church, not just inside church walls on Sunday morning. And I ended up starting a film festival, not a religious festival. It's not one with Christian or faith content. It is designed for me and a lot of you who volunteer to connect with and build relationships with business leaders and artists and people outside of church, outside of faith. And it happens every October. A lot of you volunteer in it. So every couple years, we have a pretty big event in the film festival, Uh, you know, red carpet kind of sized event. Press comes and covers it. And there's been an event that we've been working on for four months the festival team has, that would be the biggest event we've ever had. And, you know, you go back to our Back to the Future event in 2015. I mean, we had people came from 31 states uh, to be at our Back to the Future screening where the cast was here. We did a DeLorean parade to the red carpet and press. I met press from London and Paris that came in for this event. Uh, a couple of our team members said to me, you know, two weeks ago, Brad, if this, if this comes together, this will by far be the biggest thing the film festival's ever done. And so you know, about 12 or 13 days ago, I thought, man, this is really coming together. This, I think this is going to happen. And the team's all been excited, and there's just sort of the, your heart's kind of racing, like, oh, my gosh, this will, this will elevate what we do for kids. We're the only film festival in the world that gives away 100% of our box office sales. 100% goes to supporting at-risk children who struggle with poverty or uh, food insecurities or health care. Uh, challenges or educational challenges. Man, this is going to elevate that, and it'll, you know. And then this week, I had kind of one of those 
waves of deflation, let down, like this may not happen. And I kind of took this into my morning walk with God, just where I talk about my day and things I I believe he's working on me, uh, things that God's getting my attention on, and then things that I process with him. And I'm on a walk, and I'm talking about this film, like, man, I've watched the team work so, so many letters, so many letterheads, so many emails, phone calls to managers and agents and travel and And now it could, at the last minute, fall apart because of travel conflict. (laughs) And this happens a lot in the film festival world. And I I just was sort of whining to God, like, man, why all the work? And, you know, you want to be productive. And and I want to lead this team into excitement. And I don't want to have to say, hey, you know, wow, we did all this, and now it's just not going to happen. And I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but it, it was just kind of one of those struggles. And it was like, and listen, this is, this is maybe, depending on where you are in faith, this may sound mystical or may sound, you know, out there. I believe this. Not only does Jesus teach this and does Paul teach this in Scripture, I believe this so much in my own experience that when you begin to follow Jesus He actually makes accessible to you his spirit, the same spirit that guided Jesus, that filled Jesus, is available to you and me to guide us, to fill us with wisdom, to prompt us, to caution us, to speak God's words and direction to us. And it was as if God was standing right next to me, walking right next to me, or right in front of me, like... And just breathed into me this awareness or knowledge. When I was whining about oh, this thing may not happen, and then the team's going to be so disappointed, and I'm going to be disappointed. It feels inefficient. All this work, and you know, nothing coming out of this project. And it was as if God just, his words just spoke into me. Brad, what if I allow... This kind of rhythm through the film festival, because it happens a lot. You work on 10 events, 10 big possible events or screenings, and sometimes one of them comes together. You know, and you're, you're always battling the disappointment on what doesn't work. It was like God gave me this awareness. What if I allow this, Brad? It's not that I'm just not paying attention or just for some random reason it just doesn't come together. And then you're left to wonder why. Where was... Was, was God in this or not? What if I'm allowing this rhythm in your life so that your identity, Brad, is always in me? Your worth is always found in me, never in a project, never in how the church is growing, or if more people become part of Dulles Church this fall, or if the film festival is able to do more for children or gets really good press coverage and awareness because of an event, what if I allow these disappointments and these things with so much work to end up not working out in the end to constantly remind you that you are ultimately going to always find your reason for living, your purpose, your value, in me, in being my son. Now, I didn't hear those words, but it was like this knowledge that just instantly filled me. And I know this. This has happened many, many times now. This is God's spirit speaking to me, speaking wisdom to me. 
And I wanted to share this with you. This happens to me often. I'll write this down. Two weeks later, after I've forgotten, I'll reread it. Oh, my gosh, that's right. God was using this potential letdown to remind me you're always going to find your ultimate value in what I'm doing in you, in who I am as your father. And so in this world today, we're really enamored with identity. And, you know, even more than the the topic of sexual identity, I would say, in my opinion, the, the more prolific issue of identity is identity through social media. I mean, if the younger a person is in our country today, the more they find their value in who follows them on social media, who likes what they have to say, who validates their comments. We have a generation that has learned to feel value and find their identity and their worth through what other people say online, virtually, not even face-to-face. And Jesus teaches, and this is a, a, a big focus of Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, is that we are ultimately people, broken, empty, not complete, who find wholeness and our true worth in Jesus making us whole, in being a daughter of God, in being a son of God. And so I actually, for the first time, got back to my house, seeing value in these many film festival events and ideas and projects that end up never coming to fruition, never really coming together, or they fall apart at the last minute because of somebody's travel or somebody has to be somewhere else. And it always just feels so inefficient to me And I ended up being thankful, like, you know, I hope this event happens for a number of reasons, but if it doesn't, it just doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change my purpose in life and how I view the world. And so I'm going to abruptly end message number one. That was message number one. I hope that's helpful for whatever, however you're looking at the world or work projects or who's validating you or not in life right now, I'm telling you, you only find ultimately your reason for being on planet Earth when Jesus is the one who's making you whole. All right, this next one, you're going to want your notes app out on your phone to jot these down. I I think this could potentially be life-changing, okay? Maybe maybe I'm overstating that. I really do. I'm going to go quickly, quickly here through six practices that are a part of my everyday life that help me not only feel connected to God, but are a part of me being a part of the movement of God through his church in the world today. I'm not part of the movement of God because I stand up on stage or I'm a pastor or because of a title that I have. I'm part of God's movement in the world today because of his life working in me, what he's developing in me, and how I get to influence and share with just friends and everyday people. So here's what I've found. In this series, The Most Exciting Idea on Earth, I find that so many people see it as so intimidating, the idea that you, me, people like us are actually going to change the world. We're going to actually influence others towards life and hope and understanding who God is and how, what the purpose of life ultimately is, I am supposed to, you and I are supposed to actually be that in this world, like have that kind of impact in this world. I can't even get to Tuesday or Wednesday feeling connected to God. I hear this often from people. 
People tell me, I, I don't even know by Wednesday if I still believe in God. And then I've got to get back to church on, Wednesday, uh, on Sunday to be encouraged again and reminded. And how am I supposed to be part of the most exciting idea, most exciting concept in the world of extending God's love to others? And I believe it's because we don't have a sense of being connected to God on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. We don't know how to do that. We don't know how to actually hear him and see him at work in our lives daily. And so I want to talk for a few minutes here in message number two about owning your day and not being owned by your day. Where you get home from work and you're exhausted from a long day of work and that's normal. And I, I'm tired after long days of work. And if you're a parent, if you're a parent of young kids, I mean, this, it can seem like just super unrealistic that, and I'm actually going to hear God during my day, and I'm actually going to make a difference in people's lives. I'm trying to just figure out how to feed my children and get them to bed on time. For the most part, I practice these six practices on a daily basis, and they are life or death. Practicing them is the difference of spiritual life or death. Number one when I wake up in the morning, very early, in the, in the first few minutes, and if you need to wait till you have coffee, have coffee first. But I'm talking about early in your morning, give the day to God. Tell him this day belongs to him. I often, I did it this morning, I did it yesterday morning, I often kneel. I don't make a display about this in front of Family members, I, I don't make it weird where somebody walks into the room and I'm on my knees. and It's not a bad thing if that happens. Everybody knows in my house if I'm kneeling, God, Dad, Brad's talking to Jesus. I, I will lower myself at the beginning of my day. Sometimes this takes 30 seconds. Sometimes I'll spend two or three minutes doing this and I'll say, God, as important as the meetings are today... I really want this to go well. This, this has been on my mind for the, this person's hurting. I want to have the encouraging words for them. As much as I want you to come into my priorities, I'm beginning my day by telling you today is yours. I want to live into your priorities. I want to speak your life. Your, give me wisdom today. Spirit of God, we were just talking about the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, fill me today. Speak through me. Give me wisdom. Guide me. Slow me down when I need to be cautious. Make me a risk taker today. Stepping in faith when I need to trust you. Some version of that is how I start my day. Give the day to God. Remind yourself, I exist for your purposes. I'm not asking you, fix this. God, come in. Make this meeting go well. As much as he cares about our work and our meetings... Ultimately, your job, your day, your relationships are about his plan and his purpose for you. All right, second is you've got to hear God's words. Read God's words. Do this every day. Figure out how to do this. I try to do it early in my day. With all, think about all the content we have today. We are in content overload. All the content and data at work. Think about just the news, news content today. How divisive it is, how oppressive. People feel more people have been tuning out the news than ever. 
I think it's ever. I think the stat is ever in a, a per capita in American history because it's just overwhelming. It's depressing. Just, just this kind of data or content alone is overwhelming. You don't have a chance. You and I don't have a chance to get through our week feeling connected to God if we're not listening to what he thinks of the world. What he thinks about mistakes in our lives and regrets and brokenness in the work that he's doing and his future that he has in mind for us. Sometimes my reading of his words actually are the words that I've written about things that God has shown me from his words. And you can call that journaling or you can, whatever. If, if, if it feels weird for you to have a journal, like a lot of guys I think maybe struggle with that, call it whatever you want to call it. But I will often, like what I shared with you a few minutes ago, a couple weeks from now, I will forget my identity. That's right. The film festival events sometimes just fall apart at the last minute because Jesus uses it to remind me and show me your identity will always be in me, Brad. I will forget that within a couple weeks, and I'll read what I wrote from a couple weeks ago, remembering, oh, Jesus, when he tells this story, he is centering my life around him. He's the one who makes us whole. I'm his son. There's nothing greater that you'll ever achieve. With his, the excitement of work ahead or whatever's, whatever projects, the relationship, that new person in your life, all of those things, as exciting as they can be, nothing will ever compare to you being the son or daughter of the creator. Number three, when I say every day, I mean every day. And if this isn't part of your rhythm, don't feel, don't feel guilty. Don't feel shame from this. This is just talk to God about making this a part of your everyday rhythm and walking with him. Encourage someone in your church every day. When we have coffee out here in the lobby before and after church, that's important. We're not trying to just entertain people or, oh, we're going to, they'll come back to church because our coffee is really good. That's to help us be able to stop and learn names and get to know people's stories. And it's a chance for us to interact. We have a wine and cheese happening this evening. Anybody who wants to come join us to hang out for an hour with Amy and I and a few of our leaders to just get to know the church better, anybody, anybody's welcome. Let us know. Just let us know before you leave because we've got an RSV. We've, we've got like seven or eight or nine people coming, which is awesome. Th these, these times matter because we're learning the story of one another. And listen, I'm not whining here. I, I, I'm just going to tell you a lot of pastors are looked at as the encouragers in the community. They're the ones who kind of speak for God, and they're the ones who kind of show up when life's in crisis. Pastors can go through many weeks without being encouraged. And I just spent a little bit of time with three new North Point partner pastors who are thinking about quitting. They are so close to quitting because it's just a hard job. And I'm speaking from personal experience. When I get a text like I did two days ago from Brian Rogers, Brian Rogers, when I had this weird infection two years ago and I was on the couch for three weeks and it was super weird... Brian started texting me every day. He would call or text me every day to check, hey, how's my pastor? How's my friend? How are you doing? He still to this day messages me once or twice a week. Hey, how are you doing? How's your week going? How's the workload? How's your... I can't tell you what a simple text does to me. And it does it to you. 
And it does it to the person that you send the voicemail to or the voice memo to or the text message to. And I think you should at least once a month be encouraging someone in your church over coffee, face-to-face, in person. I think it should be weekly. But let's just start with once a month. How about if once a month we invite somebody to coffee or breakfast or just to encourage them? Hey, I've been thinking, how's the thing with your mom? The, the, the project at work? I've been praying about it. What, what, what's going on? It is just immensely encouraging when somebody says, I've been thinking about you. We know this. Jesus teaches it. He commands it. So I believe it should be part of our everyday rhythm. If you're newer here, it makes sense. You don't know too many people. Just take your time getting to know people and become an encourager to someone every day in your church. All right, number four, this might be the hardest, the most intimidating part. Ask for every day, watch for every day an opportunity to influence a skeptic. Now, we're going next level here. This is where we stop being church attenders and we start being the movement of God's church in the world. Like, wait, Brad, me be an influencer of a skeptic? Yes, this is a part of what God has in mind for every single follower of Jesus. I'm going to talk more about this here in my third message (laughs) in a few minutes. Number five, you got to figure out in every day somehow how to enjoy nature or creation and if you're not really into nature, you're not an outdoors person, you're not going to leave your office at lunch to walk around the pond or the lake or do an early morning walk or whatever it looks like for you, then watch every day throughout your day for how God is making something new or is creating life out of something that was dead or broken. Because remember, our creator didn't just create once, he The creator creates. He's recreating. And today he's recreating out of what's hurt or betrayed or broken and turning it into life. So just become watchful. God, what are you doing? Where are you breathing new life into the day at work with the person across my street? And then end your day. This is really important. This this changes your paradigm of God's role in your life and In your day, every day, thankful for something God is developing in you or something God is making new in you. He's creating. How is God creating new life inside of you? God, you're teaching me to slow down. Or God, you've... I'm learning about relationships. I'm learning to forgive. Okay, i gotta, I got to move quickly. Does that make sense? We'll review this list again in the near future. I'm telling you, you put these six things to work every day, you're going to suddenly see God working in front of you. People are going to be saying things to you like, you, I think God spoke through me to, to, to me through you the other day at lunch. And you're going to be like, what? what? What's happening? You're, you're just going to see you're allowing God's words, God's spirit to give you wisdom and to guide you. Your worldview is going to change from, God, help me get through today, to, God, how are you using me? What are you developing in me? The day belongs to him. Okay, message number three. About a month ago, DJ and I were talking. Really, really good conversation. I loved it. He was saying, you know, I'm headed back to, and and DJ leaves for college again this week. Fiamma left last week. 
I know Noah's leaving for college soon, and there's just, I'm, I'm leaving out a bunch of names, but it's back to college time. And DJ, you know, related to the series, the most exciting idea on earth, DJ was like, Brad, when, when, when I think about my friends at college, when do I put myself out there, tell some of my faith story, refer to my relationship with Jesus, some of how God's changed me or the person I'm becoming? When do you put yourself out there and you, you push people away? You've made things really awkward. It's, it's just, you're intimidated to try this. I'm supposed to be influencing the world. I'm supposed to be part of the movement of God in the world. And my fear is I'm going to make things worse. And my friends are going to feel further from God or like, oh, he's one of them. When, when do you hesitate and practice discretion or caution? And when do you actually take the risk and tell some of your faith story? And I love this talk. I mean, we ended up talking, you know, probably in total an hour and a half, a couple hours on this. And I'm going to relate back to something I did. I got to volunteer for the Washington Redskins for five years. When I was in high school and college, now, of course, the team name has changed. Um, I'm still trying to get used to the commanders. I, I, it might take me a couple decades to get used to this name, but I... Got to travel with the team some. I actually got to go to a Super Bowl with the team, which was a crazy experience. And so I was a fan, but I was also really, like, embedded in the whole idea, like, you know, this is the greatest sports team in the world, you know. And then years later, a friend that lived here in South Riding, processing God and faith, said, hey, I've got a business trip coming up. Would you want to go along? Can, do, do you do that? Do you travel with people like friends? I'd love to process questions about faith and God. And, and it just worked out. We planned this a month or two ahead of time, and I was able to. It was a Sunday. Uh, we flew to Dallas on a Sunday. There Monday, Monday night, come home Tuesday. And after we booked the trip and the tickets for his work event in Dallas, we realized Washington was playing the Cowboys on Monday night while we were there. And we're like, heck yeah, this is amazing. Like, we're going to just tell our friends we planned this. But we, no, I'm kidding. But it was just a total accident. So we got tickets online. And our friends are all like, man, represent, you know. And we're like, yeah, heck yeah, we're going we're gonna to walk in as Washington fans into Texas Stadium. And the closer we got, the more nervous we got. And that day, we chickened out. <laughs> And didn't wear any burgundy or gold at all. We just blended in. <laughs> we, we both we were like, are we going to tell anybody we've done? And we get through the whole game. You know, everybody, they're, they're scree you know, profanity at Washington fans. And, you know, we're just looking around the, wearing navy blue or whatever we're wearing. And this was a freakishly weird game where... The Cowboys were winning the whole game, like, I, I, I'm going to make this up. I think it was like 13 to nothing until two minutes left in the game. Mark Brunel throws a bomb, like a 60-yard touchdown pass. And then within a minute, he throws another 65-yard touchdown pass. And Washington wins in the final 30 seconds, like 14 to 13 or something like that. And it was, it was the craziest thing to be at and watch in person. And then it's like the Texas Stadium emptied 
instantly. It's like the air just went out of the building. It went hush silence. That was the night that they entered Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin into the Cowboy Hall. of. I mean, it was, it was electric that night. It was like the place just became a library in like 10 seconds. And the place emptied. Well, the 300 or so Washington fans in this, we were losing our minds, and we all gathered at the 50-yard line. Players came over, and suddenly, we're singing Washington songs. And we're dancing with each other, and we're proud to be Washington. Everybody else has left. And it, it, it hit me that this is so much the expression of so many followers of Jesus. When we're here on Sunday morning, we sing the songs. We believe that Jesus has done this. He died to take your guilt away. I mean, this sounds like a Steven Spielberg movie from World War II. Somebody gives up their life. They pay the alt. We cry in movie theaters. We sit with strangers and we, did you see this story? We believe God came to this planet and he died for our ugly and selfish choosing and came back from the dead holding all power in life. And yet when we leave this room and we walk into work tomorrow or there's our neighbors in the street and we see them at the trash cans tonight and we wave to them, we get super nervous. We'd be, we, it would be easier for us to say, an alien landed in my yard last Thursday. And invited me on the spaceship. It was super crazy. We would be more comfortable telling our coworkers something like that than to say, Jesus is changing my life. He's gotten my attention. There, there's this old version of me that's actually changing. And I don't know if I can explain it quickly here in five minutes, but... I'm telling you, it's the work of God in me. We get super freaked out and we get intimidated. There's two kinds of followers of God in this world. They're the ones that stand on street corners and hold megaphones and carry their big Bibles around and tend to tell people what they're doing wrong in their life. And then there's the rest of us who don't want to be anywhere near that camp, and so we do the opposite. We just kind of tend to stay quiet. We don't want to... And it, it, I don't think it's so much for fear as much as it is we just don't want to make things worse. My friend is already cynical. I don't want to do something or mess something up that makes him more cynical or pushes him further away from God. And so the safe thing to do is let's just exist and let's relate at work and maybe God will strike lightning and something magical will happen someday. And so DJ and I are having this conversation, like, when, when is the moment, and when do you use wisdom? When do you say, this is my story, and when do you wait for a better opportunity? And if you care at all about your faith, I know this is relevant to you. Let me read this. This is, I mean, I, I could pick so many, so many examples here. This is from Mark. Simple reference in Mark. When the when the scribes of the Pharisees, who were the arrogant religious leaders in Jesus' day who eventually would crucify him, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating, particularly in Jesus' day when you chose to eat with someone 
It was a cultural expression of friendship. You are part of the family. You are, you are an insider into my world. We're breaking bread together. It was an obvious, unmistakable sign of friendship and acceptance. When the scribes of the religious leaders saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they went to Jesus' disciples and challenged them. He claims to be from God, and he's eating with people like them? In Luke's, one of Luke's accounts of this, Luke uses the phrase notorious sinners. The Pharisees are complaining, Jesus claims to be the Messiah, God in the flesh, and he eats regular meals with notorious sinners? Imagine people in your town or in our world. I mean, I guess the way to do that today is maybe think of 50 to 100 people that are on the other side of you politically. And Jesus comes into our world today, and he just hangs out with them all the time. And you're like, how could he possibly? What is Jesus thinking? That's exactly what's being challenged of Jesus. By the people who knew the scriptures the, the best. What was it that drew outsiders what was it that drew the very people who were openly known for being opposed to the way of God and the heart of God, sinners, notorious sinners, what was it that drew them to Jesus? Is it that he was just, he was Jesus and he glowed and it's just part of the story. When Jesus comes to the world, he just walks around and people just fall into a trance and start following, he's the Messiah. I need to follow him. No, there was something in his interaction, something of God's power and love in his interaction with people, very outside of faith, that had this magnetic, drawing, compelling effect. So much so that they become his disciples. They would give up their lives for him eventually. I told DJ, I, I said, tell me about these friends that you're thinking about, that you're concerned about. Who do I talk to? Who do I not talk to? Do I at a party? Do I, I'm not going to, you know, wear a big cross around my neck to, you know, the Friday night post-game party or what, what, like, and I said, tell me about the people that you're interested in, like the, not, not hundreds of students on campus, but the, the ones that are like friends. And he starts telling me, you know, friends that he cares about and he's gotten to know but then there were a, a couple or a few that he starts talking more about and it just became apparent to me these are the ones that DJ's really built trust with these are the ones that mattered to him the most because he keeps naming them he keeps naming these guys that are I can tell I, and I said DJ I would almost say that you love these guys and he said yeah I've grown to love them these are the people that God tends to use us as influencers in their lives more than others. People that we've built trust with. People who value your story and value your opinion. You walk up to a stranger and say, hey, I've got, I've got a faith story to tell you. They're just gonna, there's just no grounds for that. Not in today's world. You bring up part of your faith story with someone where you have rapport and there's been some common experiences and your opinions matter to them it's a completely, completely different context. So he's telling me about some of these friends that he's gotten to be pretty close with. And I said, why, why do they matter to you? Tell me, tell, me, tell me, why are they friends? Why do you value them? And he starts telling me 
traits and attributes and why they're good friends. And I said, DJ, imagine this. We, we live in a world, in a Christian world, where the concept of sharing your faith is something like you got to tell people that they're sinners. They're far from God. I mean, I actually grew up in a church where from time to time it was told to strangers, you know, you'll go to hell without Jesus. I mean, who, who with any kind of moral compass would walk up to somebody and say, you know, your, your future's kind of doomed because you don't look at the world the way I do. Who would do that? And yet we're doing it today politically, aren't we? In America, Americans have believed the lie. So many Americans have believed the lie, the CNN and Fox News lie, that you have to be so committed to your political view that those on the other side are evil or they're so wrong they're going to damage human beings. We have this justified idea of fighting for why we're right. And that's sadly a part of Christian history where when you engage someone to talk about your faith, it's to save them from hell or to tell them that they've been wrong or that their behavior is displeasing to God. It's mind-boggling to me that that has become what sharing your faith means. And I said to DJ, I said, what if you said to these closer friends that you have trust with, that you really care about, and that you're expressing, you're actually expressing love to me. You're, you're telling me in your own way that you actually love these guys. What would happen if you said at a party or at a football game or studying or just wherever, in a coffee shop, it just comes up. It just, the conversation naturally goes to you saying, you know, guys, I'm a person of faith. Or to one particular friend, you know, you know I'm a person of faith. My church matters to me. God really matters to me. And I've got to just tell you, I see God in you. There's this thing in you that makes you such a good friend. Just tell me, I know this is kind of arbitrary. We're talking about somebody that you don't know and that I don't know. But what is that person's, are they going to feel offended? Is that person generally going to feel offended that you've said, hey, listen, just from my own faith perspective, I need to tell you, I thank God for you because you, you're such a good friend. I've noticed that whenever someone walks in the room, you, you just always pay attention to their story. You, whoever walks in the room, they matter to you, whether you've known them for a long time or not. It's... And, I find it so compelling, and I, I just, I literally thank God for giving you to me as a friend. Is that person going to be like, you just mentioned God to me. Stop preaching at me. Chances are, the average person is going to feel some affinity to that. They're going to feel affirmed in that. They're going to, in your trust, in your relationship with them, they're going to hear, your view of God is that God has put me in your life? Wow. I don't believe in God, but that's kind of nice to hear. We've gotten this concept somehow that when we talk about our faith, we, we somehow have to redirect a person onto the right path because they're doing horrible things or they're out of bounds from God's. 
there are still in the broken humanity that we are, there are glimpses in this world and in creation and in us of God, God's image. Humans were made, we're the only aspect in the universe, we're the only element in the universe, human beings that were made in the image of God. And there are still fragmented, maybe in broken pieces, there are still glimpses of God's own image in every human being. And when you call that out, you're speaking to what every person actually craves. They want to be connected to God. A lot of our world has lots of reasons to stay away from church. They've been judged. They've been criticized. We call out people's behavior, not we, you and me, but just Christianity has called out people's behavior for so long. People are steering clear. And yet, the reality is they still crave God's reality. You and I were made to breathe oxygen and we're made to, we have to eat. We crave food. We were also made to know God and to walk in his reality. And you're introducing people to the good and beauty of God when you, I'm not saying you just, I'm not talking about a gimmick, like I'm going to just be super positive. Sometimes in our relationship, and in our influence, we challenge, especially when the trust is strong with the friend. I've challenged friends before who are on the verge of wrecking their marriage or making a mistake they'll regret the rest of their life. And because of the trust that I have, I'm able to say, I, 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 I think you're screwing up here. I really do. I'm worried about you. There's this context, and that's, it's appropriate to say those things. But when did we... When did we imagine this influencing the world as course-correcting people's behavior? Way ahead of telling them the good that we see in them. And how God is using them in our own lives. And we see some rare attribute in them that can only be God. Your friend may never, I've got atheist friends. I have many, many friends who are atheists. I invest so much in my relationship with them. And again, not because I have the agenda of trying to change them, but because I really love them. I had, they're, they're, it's become a pattern in my life where atheists thank me for talking about God with them. I'm changing, I'm giving them a new paradigm that God can actually be beautiful. God can actually have a good future in mind for people. I've always seen God as judging and angry. I really want to encourage you. This is, you know, number four in our, our daily list of how we engage with God. Looking for opportunities to influence a skeptic. Will some skeptics possibly get angry with you for even just mentioning God, even if it's just, hey, I thank God for our friendship. Or you do this thing regularly that I, I just, it's so inspiring. And in my heart, I know it's a quality that God has given you. Could, could somebody push back on that? Yeah, it's rare. It's not going to happen much. Most of the time, it's going to be a bridge builder to this person wanting to talk to you more about God. Hmm. So you think God is beautiful. You think God's put good in me. I'd like to talk to you about that more. It's, 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 it's not a tactic or a strategy as much as it is being a friend. 
And so anyway, I'm really abbreviating my conversation with DJ uh, that day. Uh, we, we talked at length about this, and I, I said, he, he actually encouraged me. DJ, you encouraged me to maybe share some of this with the church. You said, I think some of this might be helpful, and I just made a note then. I think I'm going to work this into the series. Look for opportunities to tell people where you see God in them. And I'm, I'm telling you, it just, it awakens them. You're not telling me God's angry with me and thinks I'm going to hell. You're actually telling me God's doing something good in me. There's, there's beauty in me. It makes people curious to know your story, to know your perspective of God and faith, your perspective on the Bible. They always thought it was a violent book. It might be a book of beauty. I want to know more. I'm going to end with this, uh, how the early church just exploded in growth. A couple verses. I mean, we could, there's so much in the early Acts, early part of the book of Acts, where we see the church just growing by the thousands and the tens of thousands. Those who embraced Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the believers that day alone. A few verses later, this growing early church of followers of Jesus was praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being rescued. And this church growth is happening because of people like you and me expressing who God has become to us, our story of God, who we were, the anger, the lack of forgiveness, the quick defensiveness that used to be you or me or, and how God is softening me. And people are hungry for this. They want it. They're craving this kind of spiritual substance. And it's going to come from you and me. And Jesus is just going to wait. He's just going to wait for us to engage our world with his love and his beauty. All right, band's going to come and close us this morning. God, thank you for speaking through just somebody like me. I still don't know how it even happens that you could use my words to direct and guide. Jesus, we really are listening to you. Our eyes and ears are on you, and I ask you to continue, continue, God, leading our church, for the many who are not with us this morning and summer travel and back to school, fill every home and guide every person with your spirit, I pray. God, may we get into this rhythm, this healthy rhythm of life where we give you our day each morning, where we take in your words. We look for people in our church family to encourage every day, and we're looking for skeptics throughout our day that we can influence God, connect us to your creation. Help us to see you in creation and how you're still creating. And you're creating new out of the old. And may we be grateful for the work, the reconstruction work you're doing in each of us. And in all of this, God, I pray that we become influencers. Courageous to tell our story of new and good and beauty in a world that's so broken and so confused. We love you, Jesus.